we're kicking off a, a short kind of a mini series that'll take us through to the end of the year. Can you believe we're already at the end of the year? Oh my gosh. I'm going to kind of talk fast today because I have been asked to make today's message on the shorter side so that we can enjoy the festivities after service. And so I know I will, I will do my best to oblige that because I know we're excited to go out and experience Christmas in the woods out there, all the things that Amy Tice and her folks have put together. And actually that excitement, that sort of like if you're sitting in your seat going, mm, come on, come on, move it along. That's actually a perfect opportunity uh, today to put into practice what we're talking about, which is the art of of waiting. That's, that's what we're starting. The art of waiting. Today, of course, is also the third Sunday of Advent, and uh, that's the season where we celebrate not yet the birth of Jesus, but, we, but the anticipation of the birth of Jesus. And, you know, we use the word anticipation. That sounds like thrilling and exciting. Anticipation sounds like a good word. But what anticipation really is, in practical terms, is waiting, right? Which, if you say it that way, waiting is usually the opposite of thrilling. Uh, basically, uh, if you ask me, waiting is terrible. Waiting is awful. I hate waiting. I don't like, uh, I don't like waiting. I don't like waiting in lines. That's why I, I, I avoid like drive-throughs whenever possible. I'd rather like park the car and go inside and then come back and then sit in the drive-through. I've never been to Disneyland. I don't care how magical the Magical Kingdom is. It's just I just picture a lot of lines. Um, you know, if you're a Friends fan, Joey don't share food, and Scotty don't like to wait in lines. Uh, so that's kind of, I hate waiting rooms. I know everybody hates waiting rooms, like in a hospital or something like that, but I've got to tell you, if I'm in the hospital, I'd rather be the one in surgery than the one in the waiting room, almost. It's almost like that. Um, I, I, hate, I hate waiting for food. I hate it when I've just had a meal, like lunch, and then I've got to wait like all those hours for dinner because I'm looking forward to it already. As the, the great philosopher Tom Petty said, waiting is the hardest part. Um, now, you may not be as weird about this as me, but I'm, I'm pretty sure that most of us don't love waiting. We have a difficult time waiting. Um, in our kind of fast food, high-speed, on-demand world makes waiting even more difficult for folks in our culture because we've perfected the art of instant gratification. Um, you know, why wait? Why not now? Why not now? That could be like the motto of America. Uh, why not now? Buy now, pay later. And uh, don't, uh, I, I used to say, why save up? Just charge it and I'll, I'll charge it and let my older, wiser, richer self pay for it. And so that self now is alive and, you know, cursing my younger self. Um, delayed gratification is not really one of like America's greatest virtues. And because of this like sort of consumerism gone wild world of ours, something like Advent, Advent is probably at the top of most people's list of like holidays we could give up, right? You know, or celebrations we could give up. And you think about it, like there's no Advent present. You know, we don't, do, we don't do Advent presents. There's not like an Advent Thanksgiving, you know, Advent turkey, like at Thanksgiving. Um, it doesn't have its own great meal. Um, pretty much the funnest thing, the best thing that Advent has given us is the little chocolate calendar, right? Every day you go and you get a little piece of chocolate. Or if you're in the Hale House, after three days, they're all gone. I'm not kidding. I checked it yesterday. They're all gone. I was like, who took Christmas Eve? And, you know, and the kids are all blaming each other. Uh, we're not good at waiting. 
And I think it explains, it really does explain uh, why, you know, especially like the modern evangelical church, which, you know, we would consider ourselves an evangelical kind of modernish church, why it has an awkward relationship with Advent. Because we want instant spirituality too, right? I mean, we want instant transformation of the soul and the flesh. We don't want all that discipline of like daily quiet time with God to slowly grow. We want instant growth into maturity um, without the pain of waiting for God's timing and things like that. We want instant growth. We want results without a whole lot of fasting and prayer. And so, you know, we'll read whatever book is out there, how to like not have to wait, but just get the instant result. And yet, truly, there's no way around it. Waiting for God is the authentic reality of faith. Waiting. We can't jump past the need for waiting. And Advent is so valuable for us because it is a time to embrace that discipline of waiting well. During these weeks before Christmas, what we get to do is we're called to sort of step into the shoes of ancient Israel and and remember what it meant for Israel to await the first coming of Christ. And we learn from their stories that they were telling in those days how to wait for Christ's second coming, right? So Advent is about anticipating. It's what's, and what's beautiful about Advent too is it's, um, it works on multiple levels. So just like creation, you know, held its breath 2,000 years ago while Mary walked around pregnant for nine months. We look back at those ancient times and we wait for December 25th with, you know, to celebrate the birth of the baby. And that's Advent kind of on a historical level, Advent on a historical level. And on another level, you and I wait every day for God to move. You you wait every day for for that healing in your life. You wait every day for, you know, for him to work that miracle and that, uh, that financial miracle that you need to pay that bill or to work out that relationship that you're in right now that's having issues and there's, there's tension and you're waiting. So, so we learn, we wait constantly on, on the Lord to do something. And then we wait on him for it to do the next thing. And so, you know, we wait for, uh, as a church we're we wait and we move and we have our eyes open for the next fresh outpouring of the spirit of Christ in our, in our spiritual lives and in our church and our tribe. So that's Advent waiting on a present level. And then on another level, we know that Christ is going to come a second time, right? On that day of judgment that, that dad talked about last week. So, so awesome. We wait for the day when he will return to destroy evil by the very root, right? He's going to wipe away every tear from, from our eyes and all the crying and the pain is going to disappear. That's Advent on a future level. So, so we, this is a, a season. It's a season to celebrate Advent on and recognize it, uh, all the waiting that we do. But waiting is hard. It's not something that we tend to celebrate. We don't like, yay, celebrate waiting. We rather avoid it. If you're in a situation where you're waiting on something, that's usually a problem to be solved, right? You're probably like, what's going, what's wrong? I've got to fix this because I'm waiting, right? Something should be, something should be fixed here. And so we're compelled, when we're compelled to wait in life, we often don't wait well, So what we want to do over the next couple Sundays is explore this spiritual discipline of waiting and look at some characters in the Bible who experienced this this holy waiting and see if we can learn something from them. And uh, this morning for the next few minutes, I want to look at a story of a man who was waiting. He was waiting for the right thing, but maybe hadn't learned how to wait well. He was waiting for the right thing, but didn't really wait 
the right weight the right way. Uh, that man's name was Zechariah. And Luke chapter 1, if you have a Bible, you could turn there if you'd like. Uh, Luke chapter 1 begins with this story. It's really cool because Luke, he's telling the story of Jesus, the gospel of Jesus. He's going to tell the birth of Jesus. Uh, but he starts with this little prologue about this other little family uh, and, and a miracle that happened in their life. Zechariah was a priest. He and his wife Elizabeth, they were very elderly, uh, but he worked in the church. Uh, and they were infertile. They couldn't have babies. And so they were waiting. They had been waiting a long, long time for a child. And both of them by now were, you know, they were really too old to conceive a child. And so I can imagine, as I just kind of put myself in their shoes, that their waiting had probably kind of turned into a sort of resignation. You know, you know there's that stage when you're like, yeah, yeah it's probably not going to happen. And it sounds like maybe they never stopped praying for a kid, uh, but it it likely had become something that was more just kind of out of habit, you know, uh, just a faithful thing you did uh, rather than out of some great faith because he didn't really, it sounds like he didn't really believe that it could still happen for them. And there's a lot of stigma attached back then. Of course, in our modern society, infertility is nothing to be ashamed of. Um, and it can, you know, it can even be treated in a number of ways or, or addressed in different ways. But in ancient times, it was a huge deal uh, publicly to not ever have a child. It was a real, it was like a public shame. And it was some circles even thought of it as God's judgment on you. If you were a couple didn't have a child, like God must have, you must have did something wrong. Um, or your parents did something wrong or something. It was God judging you. And uh, so Elizabeth and Zechariah, they live with this social stigma. That was a very real thing in their day. But Luke chapter one, it tells us that they were faithful that they were righteous in God's sight and they obeyed all of God's commands. So these, this is a sweet couple. And while they're waiting, they kept serving God in other ways. And so their example reminds me that while we wait, we can still obey. While we're waiting, we're not just checking out of the game. We're still obeying. We're still doing the work that God has assigned to us. We could still serve God, love other people, be productive for the kingdom of God. Well, it says that one day, <clears throat> Zechariah, the priest, He's serving in the temple. That's, that's his job. And it happened to be his, time, her, his turn to uh, burn the incense. And so he's waiting. As he's waiting, the angel of the Lord appeared. So, I mean, it turns out Zechariah, he was in the right place at the right time. And the angel tells Zechariah in verse 13 that his prayer has been heard. I can just imagine Zechariah going, my prayer. Oh, oh yeah, that prayer, <laughs> right? He said, your prayer's been heard. Elizabeth is going to bear a child. And not only that, this child of his was going to be somebody great. He's going to bring people back to God, preparing the way of the Lord. And of course, we know that child as the one who grew up to be John the Baptist, the cousin of Jesus himself. But here's where Zechariah's waiting kind of goes south a little bit. Zechariah, he's kind of stunned by this turn of events. And he asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man. My wife is well along in years. Now, in the Greek, what, he, what he's literally asking for here, the phrase he uses, it's asking for a sign. He's asking for a sign. He's kind of like pulling a Gideon here, right? All right, let, let's get the fleece and do something here. Uh, so, Zachariah's feelings, honestly, they're understandable. They're very human. Uh, you know, so he's probably offered, he and his wife have offered up so many prayers to heaven. There's so many years of waiting for a child. 
There's probably some mixed feelings here, you know, and after praying for the same thing, you can just imagine the same thing year after year. You know that creeping feeling that can start to just get leak into your faith? That's like, okay, you know what? I, I better save myself the torture of continuing to hope for this. And what's clear what happens next is that what Zachariah asks is not a good question. This was not the right thing to say, right? Because this is not like... Well, okay, I'll say this nicely. So like a long time, years and years and years ago, uh, when Melissa was pregnant with our first child, there was this really sweet uh, old lady. I don't think she's here. <laughs> uh, we won't say any names. She's a sweet old lady. And she came up and she was like, the Lord told me that baby, that's going to be a girl. And we were like, all right, cool. You know, oh, I always, always wanted a girl. We were excited about that. Baby's born. It's a boy. And so that's okay. She got pregnant again um, with Mason. And she said, that is a girl. That's definitely, this one's a girl. And it was a boy again. So, so that happens, right? That happens. And she meant well. Um, but, you know, this is kind of like the attitude Zachariah's having. And... It says here, the angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. You could like sense Gabriel's getting a little cranked up here. Like, I am not some little old lady. And now you will be silent. <laughs> That's awesome. You will be silent. I was watching a movie. I don't have time for this, but I was watching a movie the other night. I'm sitting there by Mel. We're watching a movie. I forgot when it was. The character on the screen goes, silence! And I leaned over to her. And I was like, I've never had an opportunity and probably never will to like yell silence to like a person or a group of people, you know, who are like talking. But gosh, that must be like so satisfying just to get one, <laughs> one chance in your life to just yell out a good silence like Hollywood style. Uh, that would be awesome. And now you will be silent and not be able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Gabriel's like, you want a sign? I'll give you a sign. You're not going to be able to speak for nine months during this whole pregnancy. And so his wife, Elizabeth, really gets two blessings that day. She gets, she's going to have a baby and then her husband can't talk back for nine months. Um, but, you know, if we're, we're going to, you know, be fair, we have to really ask, like, what was really wrong with Zachariah's question? Because I'm sure I've asked this before, too. I mean, it seems like a reasonable thing to point out. His age is a significant obstacle to having kids. Uh, and not to get ahead of ourselves to next week, but, uh, you know, in a few months from this point, uh, the same angel is going to appear to Mary, and she's going to have a question. Right? He's going to tell her news of a miraculous pregnancy, and she's going to point out an obstacle, her virginity. And yet she's praised by the angel, she's favored by God, and now blessed by all generations. And so what gives? And I think it helps maybe to kind of compare and contrast their two reactions, because we've got two very similar stories, and both get told that a miraculous birth is going to happen to them. Both identify this obstacle to the promise. But Mary, let's see, Mary asks... There it is. Yeah, Mary asked, well, how will this be since I'm a virgin? How? How will this be? In other words, Mary's like, I believe what you're telling me. I'm just really curious to understand how. Like, how does this work? Uh, because, you know, she knows basic biology. And Zachariah asks, what he's asking is, how can I be sure of this? 
And I can see Mary's question, and we see even her later reaction and everything she does from that. Her question reflects awe and wonder, which is awesome. That's beautiful, right? She is not like, eh, okay, you know. She's like, why? How does that happen? Zachariah's response actually reflects his fear. He wants to believe the promise, I think, but he is afraid, and maybe I'm projecting here, but I think he's afraid of being disappointed again. He's afraid of being disappointed again. He's afraid of looking like a fool for getting his hopes up. And so he asks for some assurance. We could say it like this. Mary, she confesses her ignorance as to how God will do what he says. Zechariah, he flat out doubts whether God will do what he says. With the angel standing right in front of him. Zechariah says, yeah, but are you really telling me the truth? What he's really saying is, are you faithful? He is questioning the very character of the God who just gave him a word. Are you telling me the truth really? In fact, uh, the, the word Zechariah uses in the original language, when he asked the angel, how can I be sure of this? It's the same word for a desire for certainty and evidence. It's the same word the Pharisees used to ask Jesus for a sign from heaven. See, they weren't asking him out of some great faith. No, no. It's actually a demand from God that actually reveals our lack of faith, our lack of trust. And this is our constant temptation, guys. We're always going to be tempted when waiting on God. Because the truth is, as much as, you know, this is a faith church and we want to like say, yeah, faith is awesome. We actually don't want to live by faith. Nobody wants to live by faith. We would rather avoid the, the vulnerability required to step out in trust into the unknown of what God has said, and to trust him with the next right step. I want to see the next step, and I want to see the next 10 steps. That's what I want. I don't want to blindly step into the next one, right? That, that goes against everything human in me. And, and so what we do is we ask God to make things easier for us because we don't want to wait in vain or we're fearful of being disappointed yet again. And yeah, God does give signs from time to time. But usually what happens is when you look at those, those are usually signs to point us in the right direction. I think of it like, uh, you know, in the days before Google Maps, you know, when you had to drive into Houston, if you had to drive into downtown Houston, you'd be looking on the road for the signs. The signs would tell you, Houston, 20 miles away. Houston, 10 miles away. Exit four, you know, into downtown. You would be looking for those signs to, to reassure you, you're on the right track. You're doing good. You're getting closer. And here's where you get off. Those are what signs are for, right? You don't look to those signs on your way into Houston for like proof that there is a Houston, right? Like, you know there's a Houston. That's not what you're asking the signs to tell you. And so that kind of is a good way to think of what are the kind of signs that I should be looking for. What's okay to ask for? Like, God, give me guidance. God, give me guidance. Help make that clear. Make your will clear to me. Make it plain to me. I don't want to walk in confusion, Lord, so just make clear to me that next right step. And I'll trust there's going to be a sign five miles down the road. But give me this next right step. I th and that's okay. <clears throat> that's a good thing. Uh, what it's not doing, what, what makes that good and, and, and not what Zechariah was asking for, is when he, you, you ask for proofs and assurances. We're not waiting well. What we're doing is we're, we're succumbing to the idol of certainty. We want the idol of certainty. And you can just write that down. You could tattoo it on your arm because that's a good one. Idol, you don't want to uh, worship at the idol of certainty. Okay, to me, 
what the irony of this story is also is that Zechariah, what's his job? He's a priest in the temple. This guy should like, he's supposed to be like the spiritual bigwig guy over here, right? He's totally unprepared for the answer to his prayer. As we're going to see, Mary, she's, you know, kind of a nobody from a nowhere town. And she's like, bring it on. Cool. Zechariah is the priest in the temple of the capital, Jerusalem. He's the big guy. And he's like a, a dog that was chasing a car and that car stops suddenly. And the dog's like, what do I do now? Right? I, I, I thought I was just going to keep going. Right? And, and this is convicting for me too, because this is like the, a, a pastor or a worship leader in a church that prays for a move of God. And then when it happens, they are not prepared. It's like they, they weren't really prepared for God to show up, right? It's a challenge to all of us personally. So as I pray, as we pray as a, as a tribe for, for God's kingdom to come to Generations Church and to be manifest here and for him to make us the people who represent him well in the world, Lord God, you know, bring the people in our community in so we can share Jesus with them, we can share your good news with them and, and represent you well. Are we just going through motions? Am I just repeating the nice words mindlessly like a parrot? Or do I actually expect God to answer my prayer? When he shows up, will we be ready or will we be caught off guard? Now, what I do find beautiful about this story is that God's grace shows up anyway for Zechariah. Because he still receives the promise. Zechariah gets his boy. And God did not take his son away. God's plan was bigger than Zechariah's doubts. And that takes a lot of pressure off us too. His plan is bigger than our doubts. But his unbelief does have consequences, right? Because unlike Mary, who, uh, you know, as we read, she immediately sings her, she breaks out into her famous song, she does that before the promise is even fulfilled. She just immediately receives it by faith. She breaks out a song. Zechariah has to wait nine months for his son's birth to sing his song. But in the end, he does get to sing. And he does, and it's beautiful. And this time of penance, I think, really helps him to grow. I think it teaches him something. The song of Zechariah, in fact, these are the first words it says that he belts out when that boy is born. And it's known as the Benedictus, which is just Latin for, for blessed blessed. And it's this beautiful poem of a heart set free. It's a man who has been given new hope, who has learned to trust in God's promises. If, if you're the kind of person to be impatient, if you're like me, and waiting doesn't come naturally, if, if, if you know, the way your DNA is wired is you're going to normally just wait badly if you're the type of person to demand signs from God in order to keep waiting, to respond to the possibility of a miracle, if you respond to that possibility more with kind of like fear and suspicious, suspicion than with faith, I got news for you. God still wants to use you. He loves you and he wants to use you. He will still speak to you. He will still move in your life. He doesn't wait for you to become perfect before he wants to use you in his kingdom, but he does want us to grow and develop patience. And the most important thing about waiting isn't really the thing that we're waiting for or how long it's going to be. The most important thing about waiting is who we're waiting on. 
It's who we're waiting on. We wait for God, for his will and his blessing. And because we wait on God, we can trust it. We can trust him. We can relax. When we wait for God, the waiting is worthwhile. You know, waiting for a doctor to see you is lame. Waiting in the waiting room, waiting in the second little waiting room, then the third little, it's terrible. Waiting in the Taco Bell line is awful. But when the object of your waiting is to discover more of God and to experience Him in your life, more of what He desires and more of, of who He is, ah, it makes the waiting something much more like Advent, which is a hopeful anticipation. Hopeful anticipation. It's not drudgery. It's life-giving. And it's character-building but it's probably the single most essential element for spiritual growth. I love this scripture out of Isaiah. Many of you probably know this by heart, but they that wait upon what? Circumstances? No. The Lord. Those who wait on the Lord, that's the one, the most important thing is the one we're waiting on. Those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. So over the next couple of weeks, we're going to look at some other folks in Scripture who, uh, who waited on God, and most of them did a little bit better job of waiting well than Zechariah did. But the common element in all of these stories is that the one they were waiting on was God. That's the most important. Uh, the, the author... Uh, Richard Rohr is just a fantastic thinker in the Christian world. In his book of daily meditations on the Advent, he says, Advent is not about a sentimental waiting for the baby Jesus. Advent is a time to focus our expectations and our anticipation on the adult Christ, the cosmic Christ, who challenges us to empty ourselves, to lose ourselves, to surrender, to surrender. That word is so good. Even as I'm just standing here, waiting, so much of it is surrender. Waiting well is about surrender. So if you're waiting on God right now for an answer to your prayer, then you find yourself in the right season. Advent is for you. If you've ever been frustrated or fearful that you're waiting means you've done something wrong, like something's gone on track, off track, I would say fear not. You are right where God wants you where you're supposed to be. It turns out waiting isn't a sign that something has gone wrong in your walk of faith. It's actually central to what it means to walk by faith. Being a Christ follower, it means waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus and waiting for God to reveal his will in our everyday life and waiting for his perfect timing in all the areas of your life. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this season of Advent. This time of waiting and expecting. Lord God, we thank you for the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth. What a precious couple who waited for you and received your promise. And we confess, God, I confess I often struggle with waiting. I get impatient, even doubtful. And we look for signs and guarantees instead of just trusting you enough to just delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Forgive us, God, for for our little faith. Help us, oh God, to wait well. Help us to obey you 
and to keep praying and seeking while we wait, to keep busy, to keep, keep doing the work of the ministry and to, to surrender, to surrender ourselves and all of our fears and our anxieties. Help us to be ready and watchful for your return, Lord God. We pray that your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. May your glory shine in every heart and every home this season. We pray for all of this in the beautiful, mighty name of Jesus. And everybody say, amen, amen. Will you stand to your feet as our prayer partners come forward right now? Look at that, 10, 59, and 17 seconds. <laughs> if there's anything you need prayer about, make sure you come forward and let these guys pray with you. They would love to pray with you. Don't leave, don't even go celebrate yet until you come and let these guys pray with you. They would love to lead you in whatever it is you're asking the Lord for, whatever you're waiting on. Let them kind of join their faith and wait with you. And if you want to say yes to Jesus for the first time today, what a great day to do it while we're celebrating the anticipation of his birth. Amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine upon you and be merciful to you in this day that we're living in. Grace and peace be with you. Let's go enjoy Christmas in the woods. Bye-bye.